Welcome to the Grace for This City podcast. We're helping you turn your cities upside down. Hey, I'm your host, Justin Goff. Stay tuned. We got a great show for you today. All right. Good morning, everybody, and thank you for tuning in. This is the Grace for This City podcast, and I'm your host, Justin, and it is an honor to be here with you again today. Thank you so much for sending this broadcast or the previous broadcast to somebody that you know that would be greatly encouraged by Grace for This City podcast. Hallelujah. Again, thank you so much for tuning in. Let's jump right in again to our podcast today, and let's go a little bit further here. We're talking about departure or defection. We're looking at a particular passage in the book of Second Thessalonians. And, um, hey, I want you to know that while uh, this particular couple series or a couple podcasts that we've been doing, while it's quite controversial, I want you to know that this passage alone, Second Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 3, this passage alone is not the definitive proof text for the rapture in itself. I mean, there are several passages where this mystery that Paul received via Jesus Christ himself, you know, Jesus is the one that told Paul about the rapture of the mystery church. Uh, but it is not just located in Second Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 3. So if you've been following along with us and then done any of your homework, you probably realize how controversial this particular passage is. There's arguments on both sides. In fact, great arguments on both sides. You, my friends, will have to conclude ultimately what you believe about it. But I'm going to get back into it again today. Hallelujah. Uh, I didn't think I was very controversial, but apparently I am. But let's jump right back into this and let's look a little more at this particular verse. And we're going to add just a little bit more to the word, the definition of the word apostasia that we see here. Second Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 3, it says, let no one deceive you by any means. For that day, talking about the day of the Lord or the second coming of Jesus Christ, will not come unless, or we could say before, two things transpire. Number one, the falling away. That's the Greek word with all the controversy, apostasia. And uh, some people are simply defining it as like an abstract defection, like uh, a, a departure or a defection from the faith. They say it's like a rebellion against God. It is a uh, defection from the faith, a falling away, um, kind of it, it, it's a revolt uh, against the Lord and his church. That's how most people are defining that. And it is obvious that you see that word used in such manners as well. But then over the last two episodes, as you know, we've also dug in here a little bit into the history of that word. And uh, it can be used to mean a physical departure as well. So there's two things he says that must take place before the day of the Lord or his second coming can, can transpire. Number one, the falling away as the King James um, defines it. We're, we're saying that it, it means the departure of the church. And then number two, and this is after this, the man of sin has to be revealed. Paul was writing to them and encouraging them, hey, don't be so upset because, you know, they had some false prophets and apostles or traveling ministers come in and say a bunch of stuff. Paul said that was trash. They had their own like uh, prophetic unction. People within the church said, hey, I had a dream last night. Or somebody says, hey, I got a prophetic word. And, um, you know, we're living in the time of judgment or, or the time of the wrath of God. Paul said, no, that's garbage. 
and then lastly, they had received letters that somebody had written to them and forged Paul's name. He said, no, 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 that's trash too. He said, remember what I told you when I was with you. And we mentioned this the last two episodes. I want to say it again because it's very important that you got to understand when Paul first came to them, not only did he introduce them to Jesus Christ, he also explained uh, about the end of the age. These were things uh, that, of course, these were Greeks, but uh, in particular, anybody that had any kind of Jewish uh, upbringing, any orthodoxy, uh, if they were involved in Judaism of any kind, definitely after Paul received that revelation, he uh, shared it with Peter after several years. Of course, then it went through the church there in Jerusalem and beyond. But anybody for sure would have had these questions answered, in particularly in light of the Old Testament prophets, which they had in the oracles, etc. But Paul would have introduced them to the gospel. They would have known exactly what they would have needed to know about the deliverer, Jesus Christ himself, who is delivering them from the wrath to come. Listen, friends, if you look at it from the 30,000-foot view, um, uh, then this what what Paul was sharing, even though like in Second Peter chapter three, Peter said Paul said some hard things that were uh, you know hard to understand. But if you look at it from the thirty thousand foot view, you'll totally see what Jesus Christ revealed to Paul that he's coming in for those who have been faithful to to him. He's going to rapture them out before judgment hits the world. Hallelujah! Before the wrath to come or the hour of trial, and um, and so pe- people came in said you know, no, we're already in it. Paul said, no, that's trash. They had people who had, you know, supposed uh, visions from the Lord or dreams of the night or prophetic words in their own church. Paul said, no, that's garbage too. Uh, And then finally, these forged letters, Paul said, I'm clearing this up. When I was with you, I told you the whole council. You and I have to piece this together through the various letters, et cetera. But you have to understand in their day, they had it from A to Z, friends. They, they, They got the full picture in the three weeks or the three months or however long Paul was with them, he shared with them the whole council, and it included the end of the age or uh, things concerning judgment, Jesus' return, him coming back for the church, what he was going to do with the nations and the Jews, how that judgment was going to transpire. Uh, Paul even talked about, um, and he talked about this to the Thessalonians too, like we find it in Romans 9, 10, and 11, what God's plan or program with the Jews still is that Israel will be saved. And so they got the full picture. You and I have to piece it together. All right. Now, this controversial phrase here uh, doesn't have to be controversial in light of the 30,000 foot view. Once you see it, then it's not controversial at all. At least it's not to me. But uh, this word apostasia, again, it's translated departure. Uh, The Latin word, for example, is discessio. And if you look that word up in any modern Latin dictionary, you'll see that it's defined as a departure or a withdrawal. Um, <clears throat> so it makes sense that something has to be withdrawn here. We're going to see a, uh, a, um, a picture of this uh, in the same chapter in verses 7 and 8 here in just a moment. But I want to add something to this word apostasia. I want to add another thought here, and then we're going to go on to some other things as it regards the rapture. I'm going to show it to you from another perspective. But um, this word, apostasia, now, uh, as best as historians and researchers can tell, the first time, everyone say first, the first, the first time this word was used or discovered, at least historically for us to go back and find it, at least, what, what 
historians and researchers can locate. The first time this word was used in secular writings was by a guy named Archimedes, and it was right around 250 BC. And this is how he used it. He used it in the sense of distance. When he was using this word in his writings, he was using it to refer to distance. Okay, now, it's also been used uh, in a reflexive sense, uh, such as men removing themselves or departing. Again, this is how a lot of people see it as an abstract. They're removing or departing themselves from the faith. Uh, It has been used to include political contexts like a revolt or political rebellion or political defection. Uh, And again, of course, obviously it's been used in a religious sense as a religious defection. So again, lots of controversies exist on the usage of this word. Again, excellent arguments on both sides. Great resources are available to you if you want to explore it in more depth yourself. But again, as I said, I don't want to uh, hinge because it's not hinged. The What we might say the rapture doctrine or rapture theology is not hinged on this passage, and it's definitely not hinged on just that one word. I've, I find it quite uh, intriguing, though, to do this kind of deep dive on some of these word studies um, because of the nuances that you will find beyond just surface level reading of the Bible, although that is enough, friends. You can find it clearly expressed. When Paul came and he talked about the rapture of the church, you can find it clearly expressed in other passages, and particularly in Paul's writings. And so, again, we're not betting everything on just this one verse here, but I hope you've enjoyed this deep dive as much as I had. It may answer some other questions for you as well, although it may stir up, uh, uh, you know, uh, you know, maybe unnecessary conflict with people that you know. And so um, you don't have to get into arguments with, with anybody, friend. That, friends. That's not the point. And I'm not doing this uh, to start any arguments either. It's just simply what I have discovered. It's what I believe, and I uh, find it enjoyable to find ways throughout the Bible to substantiate that. All right, now let's look at the identical sequence of this verse a few uh, verses later. Let me turn there. And if you notice in uh, verses 7 and 8, he says, for the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Do you know where else in the Bible that that phrase or a similar phrase is located? Um, It's also in like 1 John um, chapter 2. I think it starts like in verse 18. And he's talking about that we're in the last days and we know that we're in the last days because we're seeing uh, more movements of lowercase antichrist, the capital A antichrist has not come yet. He's coming. He hasn't come yet. Uh, he's not even been revealed yet. He can't really come on the scene and start doing anything until there's a withdrawal of the restrainer. And we're seeing this here in verse seven. He's saying this mystery of lawlessness, it's already at work. It's been at work. It was at work in his day. It's at work in our day. And uh, it says, but only who, uh, excuse me, only he who now restrains will do so until he, the restrainer, is taken out of the way. Now watch this, verse 8, and then. Remember, Paul said the day of the Lord cannot come unless two things happen. There is a departure, and then there is a uh, revealing of the man of sin. Well, the man of sin cannot be revealed until whatever is restraining him, which I believe the body of that restraint is the church, is taken out of the way. Well, that sounds like a withdrawal. That sounds like a departure. Something is moving here. Now, some people argue uh, and it's a ridiculous argument. Let me just tell you this, that, you know, the restraining force, like back in that day, was like uh, Rome. Well, Rome fell. All right, so if Rome or government in general is the restraining force, then anytime any government 
falls, then the Antichrist is going to be automatically revealed. Well, obviously it wasn't Rome because the Antichrist didn't come on the scene. And so I don't believe that that argument holds any weight as far as the restrainer being some type of government. I mean, we're talking about secular government here being the restrainer of the Antichrist. No. Some people say that the Antichrist himself is restraining himself. Uh, no. Okay. I mean, we found out in Daniel that he's trying to rush times and seasons. He's, he's, he's not patient, friends. Satan is not patient. And so that argument doesn't hold weight there in light of dozens of other passages of scriptures that gives us insight into uh, our enemy, Satan, uh, you know, and, and some of his uh, outer or inner and outer workings, some of the ways that he's been um, revealed how he operates. So he's not restraining himself. It's not government. It wasn't Rome. It's not going to be the U.S. It's not some other. It's it's it's, it's not the United Nations for crying out loud. Uh, and then uh, there's another pretty you know strong argument out there that seems like lots of people kind of rally around that. Of course, there's various views, but some people think that Michael the Archangel is restraining him. I don't agree with that either. But um, that would be my probably of all the various positions that I've heard. That's probably my second favorite one but my first favorite one and the one that i actually think it is is actually the power of the holy ghost within the church itself this is the life of christ within the church being the body of christ in the earth right now listen jesus christ the head himself like personally physically is going to return he's going to need his body to return with him if you've ever done a study in the bible on the head and the body the mystery of the head and the body then it is pretty um, simple to conclude then that when Jesus returns as Zechariah prophesied, the saints will be with him. Well, how are they going to get there? Well, he's united with him, or excuse me, the body, the New Testament saints in particularly are united with him. Of course, then the Old Testament saints, saints that are resurrected uh, first, you know, we're talking about the, um, all those who are of the household of faith are going to be uh, resurrected in the new bodies. We're going to be caught up to meet them in the air and to forever be with him. Then we return with him uh, after the judgment seat of Christ and the marriage supper of the Lamb. That happens during the seven years, seven earth uh, years of the tribulation on the earth. We're in heaven with him, being united with him. We return with him as his body. Okay, so to me, the conclusion that that is pretty evident if you've done a study on other uh, topics in the Bible, for example, the head and body, you know how important that is, and you know why it has to be that way, that Jesus cannot return um, without the saints with him, uh, because then he wouldn't be here in his full demonstration of glory. By the way, Romans says that we'll be glorified together. He's talking about after we receive the resurrection of our bodies, and then all the creation will see us together with him to receive that glorification together and at that event is the second coming, when Jesus comes down, puts his foot down, and the saints come with him right there. Now, um, you know, uh, we don't believe in a post-tribulation rapture because we don't see it scripturally. Uh, but the, in that position there, it says that right at the end, the saints basically go up and down. Like they're, we're caught up, and then we're immediately uh, right there. We're, we're caught up, we're transformed, we're raptured right there, and then suddenly we're just kind of, spun around and then we're returning with him. Uh, several reasons why I don't think that that's what the Bible says, but my point is not to argue these other positions right now. It's just to uh, reveal how clear um, 
a pre-tribulation rapture of the church actually is in the Bible. I'm going to show you somewhere that makes it abundantly clear. Um, but notice this sequence of events here. Okay, we have uh, actually in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 1, he's talking about the day of the Lord or the coming of Jesus Christ with the saints. Zechariah, again, prophesied that. When Jesus returns, friends, for the second time, the saints return with him. The saints are with him. They're with him. Zechariah prophesies that. All right, so somehow we have to get up there um, and uh, the judgment seat of Christ and then uh, our robes uh, and then our consummation with him, the marriage supper of the land. All that takes place right after the rapture of the church, which as we're seeing right here, the Antichrist cannot, cannot even be revealed until there's a departure or withdrawal, the restraining force. The church is raptured because the church is the body of that restraint. So here we see in verse 1, chapter 2, verse 1, concerning his second coming and our gathering unto him. Paul is reminding them of these major events that he had already talked to them about. Jesus himself already talked to Paul about his second coming, already talked to Paul about how he was going to come and gather the saints to himself. Then again in, in verse 3, he said, don't let anybody deceive you. They already had, I don't know how many months, years maybe, of people coming in and bringing this deception concerning these events. He says, the Antichrist will not be revealed, and that day, the day of the Lord, cannot come unless there's a departure first and the man of sin is revealed. Then verse 7, we find out that the restrainer has to be removed or withdrawn out of the way in order for the man of sin to even begin the process of revelation or his apocalypse. He can't even begin his apocalypse until the restrainer is removed. Now listen, throughout First and Second Thessalonians, okay, these are Paul's eschatological letters. I mean, he talks about it probably in more quantity in these passages than anywhere else. But here for sure in these two letters, we see seven times Paul specifically encourages these believers, New Testament believers, and it's still encouraging us today, friends. Paul's writing to them, Holy Spirit speaking to them via Paul, via these letters, and they're being encouraged about being delivered, saved, caught up, preserved, gathered, and departing. Hallelujah, friends. I mean, we kind of know the entire context here uh, is not a religious defection, come on, but a, a, a departure. We're a part of the whole, uh, um, uh, let's see, order of events. Now, uh, watch this in reference to um, this restraint being taken out of the world. In 1 John chapter 4, verse 4, it says, You are of God, little children, and have overcome them because he, watch this, he who is in you is greater than he, lowercase he, that is in the world. <laughs> Hallelujah. I think that verse right there, among others, uh, for example, Matthew 16, Jesus said, uh, I will build my church. He's talking about the ecclesia. These are the called out ones. These are those that have received redemption. These are the overcomers. He said, I'll build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail. Well, um, remember when the Antichrist is revealed, Revelation says that he's given power to overcome the saints. You can't have both, friends. And so here we find out that as long as the church is in the earth, within the church, within the church, is this spirit, is this life, it's Zoe life, it's the spirit of, of uh, Christ that's on the inside of us. Uh, we become one with the spirit, 
John, uh, was it John 5, he said, even as the Father had life in himself, he granted that the Son would have life in himself. Jesus said later in John 10, 10, he said, I've come that you would have this life and have it in abundance. So the very fact that the church is a new creation in Christ Jesus, totally distinct from Jews, totally distinct from Gentiles now. We've, we see a third person on the face of the earth now, or a third, third group of people, and it's called the church. And within the church, though, is what 1 John 4, 4 was saying, greater is he that is in the church, in you, in the believer, than he, Antichrist, that is in the world. As long as the church is in the earth, the Antichrist cannot uh, be granted to operate in full power. I'm going to show you that in Revelation 6, but he cannot be granted full unrestricted power while the church is still in the earth because Jesus said, he said, uh, the gates of hell cannot prevail against the church. So we're talking about the church is uh, raptured. They're caught up. They're caught out. They're removed, withdrawn. And then the Antichrist is released to begin the process, uh, or we would say his apocalypse, the uh, apocalypse is revealing. That's what that word means. Um, again, 2 Thessalonians 2.1, Paul's saying, uh, remember what I told you about our gathering unto him. Remember what I told you about this withdrawal or this departure or this distancing. Remember the very first time uh, apostasia was used, Archimedes 250, at least that they can locate historically any kind of writings. He, he used it to refer to as a distancing. So Paul, he's saying, look, we're going to be gathered unto him. Then there's going to be this departure or this distancing. Listen, the one doing the restraining has to distance itself from what it's restraining. Uh, if the if that which is being restrained is to come into some sort of power, then whatever restraining it has to be removed out of the way. In context, Paul's saying, listen, you're going to be caught up. You're going to be saved, delivered, preserved, gathered, depart. There's going to be a distance here. Okay, and then lastly, in verse 7, there's a taking out of the way or a removal. I, I believe the church is the body of this restraint. Like I said, 1 John 4, 4, though, greater is he that's in us, though. He's the one giving us the power, but the church is the visible, is the visible, tangible uh, you know, body of that restrainer in the earth. And it must be taken out of the way. It has to depart in order for the Antichrist to come into full power. Now, the Greek phrase taken out of the way, let me spell it for you in case you want to do your own study here. I don't know how to pronounce it, but it starts with ek, E-K. Remember, ekklesia? Ek, E-K, it's in the phrase ecclesia because it means um, uh, like um, called out. Ecclesia or the church, it's got ek, it means out or taken out, separated out, separate, um, brought out of here in order to be gathered over here. That's ecclesia, that's the church. But here taken out of the way, it's E-K and then M-E-S-O-U, and then G-E-N-E-T-A-I. Now, I'm not sure how to say that in the Greek, but that's the phrase taken out of the way. Now, here's what it means. Uh, it means out of the midst or from among, and it means to be gone. Out of the midst or from among or to be gone. This restrainer, again, is literally being uh, removed out of proximity from that which it was hindering. It's going to be gone. The restraint's going to be gone. It's going to be taken from among, or it's going to be removed out of the midst. Now, several other translations translate this phrase, uh, this Greek phrase, and um, let me try and pronounce it. I'm going to totally mess this up, but it may be close. It's ek 
Mesu Genetai. And uh, four, four, uh, four other Bibles translate it like this. Be removed from the midst. One other translation says, be gone, not here. Uh, three other Bibles say, be gotten out of the way. One other Bible says, the restraining power removed. One Bible says, disappear from the scene. <laughs> the restrainer is just going to disappear from the scene. What does that sound like? Well, that sounds a lot like Harpazo. Uh, because in the twinkling, I mean, it's going to be so fast. He's going to appear. Uh, there will be a sound, uh, uh, like a trumpet sound. And then in the twinkling, in a uh, atomic second, it boom, just instantaneous. You're going to be caught up in the air and you're going to be transfigured. Hallelujah. That's the fulfillment of what uh, Romans chapter 8 was talking about, that the manifestation of the sons of God, that happens when your body is redeemed, when your body is transfigured. That's the fulfillment of that passage right there. Lots of teachings on manifest sons of God on the earth right now. No friends. That's not what the Bible says. Um, the fulfillment of that is uh, when our bodies are redeemed, then we're actually, we're revealed for who we really are. See, we, we received a down payment of a transfiguration, a transfiguration of our spirit, if we could say it like that. You got a born-again spirit, but nobody could see that. And this is why the world does not appreciate you. They hate you because they're just looking at your mortality. They're seeing you in your physical body and saying, what, who are you, a son of God? No, you're not. But when the body is transfigured, suddenly then they will see who we really are on the inside. Now our outside will match the inside. And then seven other Bibles translate this Greek phrase taken out of the way, just like the New King James does here. So uh, I think you can see here that uh, there is something significant taking place before the Antichrist is revealed. And to me, it is more significant than just the, the angel, uh, the archangel Michael saying, all right, um, go do your thing. No, no, no. The church is involved in this, friends, because the church was what Jesus was using to keep the gates of hell at bay, not, 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 not the angels. In fact, the Bible says that the angels desire to look into these things that's going on among the church. No, it's, it's the church, friends, powered by the he that is in us. Okay, that's Holy Spirit. But the body of that restraint, the physical, tangible body of that restraint is what Jesus said. It was the ecclesia. And uh, that's got to depart. That's got to disappear from the scene. That has to be gotten out of the way. That has to be gone, not here. That has to be removed from the midst. Listen, friends, that's got to be distanced. That force has got to be distanced in order for the Antichrist to even begin his apocalypse. Now, look at this word, 2 Thessalonians 2, 8. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 8. He says, and what? And then the lawless one will be revealed. He cannot be revealed before these other things take place. After these other things take place, in particularly the departure of the church, the removal of the restrainer, the disappearance of the restraint, then and then and only then can the Antichrist begin the, the initial process of coming into uh, revelation or coming into the process of being made known who he is and what he's doing. Now, this word revealed is the Greek word apocalypto. Again, we get the English word apocalypse. This is the apocalypse of the Antichrist. It's a compound of apo, which means away, Greek apo means away, and kalupto meaning something veiled, covered, concealed, or hidden. When combined 
we get a word which depicts a veil that has been removed, exposing what is behind the veil that was previously concealed or hidden from view. That's apocalypse. Let me read that one more time. Apocalypse, or uh, it's translated in the New King James as revealed, but it's apocalypto. We combine the compound words there to get apocalypse. We find out that it means a veil that has been removed, exposing what is behind the veil that was previously concealed or hidden from view. When the Holy Spirit's restraining power through the church has been withdrawn, there will no longer be any force present to hold back the evil forces. Therefore, this evil leader who has been concealed and hidden from public view will suddenly appear. In that moment, it will seem as if a stage curtain has been pulled out of the way so that he can make his grand appearance to the world. Listen, friends, the Antichrist right now is not center stage. The church is. And that's because we are in what they call or what we would call the church age. God's dealing with the churches right now. I'm going to show you that in Revelation chapter um, 1 here in a little bit. Uh, But right now, um, we are... Uh, God's dealings with man right now have to do with the church, okay? We're in uh, what they call Daniel's gap between the 69th week. This is where Christ, the Messiah, was cut off. And we're right before Daniel's 70th week, and this is where the Antichrist comes on the scene. Well, he can't come on the scene yet because he's not even been revealed. Why? There's a restraint, and it's like there's a curtain been drawn. It's not his time yet to come out from, for lack of a better way of saying this, let me just say it like this, he can't come out from backstage yet. Uh, he's still uh, being restrained. He's being hidden. There's a curtain drawn. It's not his time yet. What time it is, is the time for the church right now. It's God's dealings with the church. They're the ones on the stage right now. And until, not before, uh, but uh, until the church departs. The Antichrist will not be known. All right, now we're just flat out of time. So I'm just going to leave you there. We'll have to pick up on this um, in the next podcast. But I hope this has been uh, of interest to you. I find this absolutely encouraging, but I find it fascinating as well. God's plan for the end of the age is absolutely amazing, friends. And what he has in store for the church is fabulous. Now, let me close with this thought here. Because there's a lot of animosity against rapture theology. Some people call it failure theology. (laughs) Man, I heard a guy say that one time, and I thought, whoa, man, what a rude dog. Um, uh, But anyway, some some people call it escapism, etc. No, it is simply uh, Jesus' plan. It's what he revealed to Paul concerning those that he called the overcomers. He was going to keep them. He was going to withdraw them. He was going to rapture them out of the wrath of God that was going to be coming upon the earth. Those uh, who were rebellious, uh, who turned against the Lord, uh, those who didn't want anything to do with him. In fact, you can find out in Corinthians, they would cry out, Maranatha. That was an Aramaic word. Come, Lord Jesus. And they said, anybody who uh, is rebellious towards God or anybody who has you know, turned against the Lord, they said, let him be accursed. Listen, that's strong language, friends, but we're talking about the enemies that have persecuted God's people, and particularly, you know, in, in your and I's day, 
referring to the church here, the born again people, the persecution that has come upon the church, man, God had a plan. He said, I'm going to get you out. I'm going to come. I'm going to rescue you, friends. Hallelujah. It is not failure theology. In fact, good uh, Bible teaching, the whole council should actually inspire you to go out and tell people about Jesus Christ. But what we found out in First Thessalonians chapter 2, actually, if you go back and read that, you'll find out that people were telling Paul, stop telling the Gentiles about salvation in Jesus Christ. Stop, stop telling people that Jesus is going to deliver them from judgment. Now, I wonder who was telling Paul that. Well, it was some of the um, uh, Jews that hated the Gentiles. Listen, they wanted judgment to come upon the Gentiles. They, they thought they were, they were the only ones that God would have any mercy upon. But listen, friends, this is what we found out in the mystery church, that his heart was being turned to all people everywhere. So really, good Bible uh, teaching, good uh, Bible theology, a whole council of the Scripture actually should inspire you. Rapture theology should actually inspire you, friends, to go tell people about Jesus because the very message of the rapture is that Jesus himself is going to deliver you from the wrath which is coming. Hallelujah. We're out of friends. We're out of friends. We're out of time. Hallelujah. We got loads of friends. Let's be friends. <laughs> We're out of time today. Uh, if we could pray for you, that's what I started to say. If we could pray for you, several ways you can reach out to us. It would be our honor to partner with you in, in prayer. You can call us 870-741-9099. Leave a message. One of our prayer partners will respond to you. Or you can send an email to hello at gracecitychurch.tv. We'll get it to our prayer team. Again, friends, thank you so much for tuning in. This has been the Grace for This City podcast. And until next time, be blessed.